Hi, I'm Jeff Miller. I'm Anthony Navarro, and welcome to Talk Out Loud, where we share the LGBTQIA narrative one story at a time. On this episode of Talk Out Loud, we're excited to welcome artist, DJ, coach, and mentor Bodhi Kalagna. As internationally renowned DJ and music producer, Bodhi has remixed legendary artists including Yoko Ono, Ricky Martin, and Pitbull. Growing up in Dubai, they experienced that there is something mystical in music that soothes the soul that can give birth to new ideas that ultimately lead to new adventures. After moving back to the States, they started creating music, spending hours mixing, listening, and studying. They mastered the art of remixing. After achieving much success, a dark period of life encompassed them and they wanted to vanish. They trusted the voice of their intuition that led them to the Rocky Mountains, where they took deep dives into personal work and healing of past trauma and reconciling their gender. This created a desire to be of service and help other people heal and be free to express what their heart's calling. Let's hear Bodhi's story. So, and this is actually kind of a bit of a, almost an anniversary, uh, a year ago this week, you took the first step on a new journey. On your blog, uh, you have the quote uh, from the famous Chinese philosopher, um, Lao Tzu. Thank you, <laughs> Lao Tzu. And that quote was, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And before we get too far into your story, and what that step was, can we talk about what the word journey means to you, number one, and then we're going to talk about your, your journey leading up to that, if that's okay. Yeah, um, great question. So journey for me is, man, it, it's, it's, it has so many different meanings, you know, like, because I think of it in terms of traveling to some place or some sort of experience that is outside of oneself. And that can mean, you know, leaving and, and going to a different country where, you know, we're taking a journey that way. There can be a physical journey, which, you know, I'm going through. There can be a metaphysical journey, which like a spiritual experience. And of course, you know, musical journeys, which have been my artistic craft of choice. So, yeah, I think the the word in itself is just... It has so much weight, you know, and it's hard to kind of put one single sentence to it because it just means, it means trusting the flow of wherever you're supposed to go, you know, mm. for, for me, it does. That's, that's how it resonates. Yeah, that rings very true to so much of my experience. Trust almost like no, no, not judging the journey as well, too, mm. uh, where that takes me. I was talking to somebody about this earlier and this week, and it's uh, that almost like that intuition that mm -hmm. comes that, that it is my, my guide on the journey. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Where did you grow up? Yeah. So I was born in Louisiana, but I left quickly around first grade. And, and my family, my stepfather at the time was in oil, and that brought us overseas to Dubai. And mm. so I spent most of my childhood in Dubai from first grade to about seventh grade and on to Aberdeen, Scotland. But I I feel like, you know, when most people say, where did you grow up? Dubai is what kind of feels the most true for me because those are the formidable years of our lives, you know? And just remembering being a kid in, in Dubai, that's kind of where my a lot of my childhood memories and 
all the things, you know, from good memories mm-hmm. to tr- to bad memories, all of it. But, you know, that is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And, and it was not the Dubai, obviously, that the Dubai is of now. You know, we didn't even have, like, grocery stores back then. You know, I, I, re- mm-hmm. I remember, like, one of our first, like, the last year that we were there, they finally got a Safeway. and it was such a big deal to us we were like whoa you know um but we didn't they didn't have malls there wasn't a gap you know like we had to get our our clothes were handmade by a tailor and you know Mm. like those we didn't have what you know we would normal american kids would have or living in america or other countries for that matter Um, were you going to an american school or what did they i did yeah so i went to a school it was called jumeirah american school which is now dubbed something else. I can't remember when I was looking it up, but, um, it was an American school and yeah. And and so it was like, we didn't live on uh, a compound or like a military compound or an oil compound. Like a lot of other expats did. We lived, you know, in the neighborhood kind of close to school and I would walk to school every day or my mom was also a teacher at the school. So yeah, it's quite crazy when I think about it because Mm. now when I look at pictures of Dubai, it's just like, whoa, no, that is not the Dubai <laughs> that I remember at all. <laughs> so yeah. Bodhi, you said, um, obviously like, you know, from first grade to seventh grade, those are like some really formative years. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, um, in your process of like discovering who you were and who you are when you were in that age range being in Dubai, did that have any, say, positive or negative effect on your thoughts on like discovering who you are as a person? Yeah, I think it affected me. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm sure there was positives and negatives, you know, I was already pretty, pretty clear of not feeling like I was technically like, right, I guess you would say, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I, I was feeling from my youngest memories of of exploring who I was, I always felt like, well, something's a little off with me or a little different. Um, and so definitely being in a country like that where it was already so difficult for women, you know, in a sense yeah. of, you know, women having expression and wearing whatever they wanted, that that wasn't something that I really grew up, grew up with outside of being in, obviously, in my school. So that definitely was part of questioning, I would say, you know, for my own mm-hmm. gender and just my own just beingness. Being in such a religious um, country, you know, I I didn't grow up religious. My, my family wasn't um, really gr- religious, so I had this freedom to kind of explore that within myself. But growing up in, in an Islamic country, it's quite religious, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the prayers six times a day, which I found to be super fascinating. I really mm-hmm. resonated deeply with the, the call to prayer. And I think it was, there was something mystical in the Arabic vibe and music and the mm. minor keys that really was just kind of struck me as a very, I, I can remember that as a kid, you know, and, and, and questioning a lot, you know, like, well, mom, why is everybody pulling off to the side of the road and pulling these carpets out of their car? You um, know, like, cause yeah. I'd, I'd never experienced that, you know, and to see that. So, yeah, I think it, it definitely, it, it shaped me in a lot of ways and definitely brought the, the curiosity out of me much more, you know, I was de- definitely very curious mm-hmm. about myself 
obviously, and, you know, them as well of like, wow, well, I don't look like them. And that, you know, you start to just ask all of these questions, you know, within oneself as one does. Did you grow up in a religious household or did you? I didn't, no. You know, oh, and th- okay. thankfully I didn't. Um, you know, my, my mom was, you know, like they, it was never pushed upon or anything. There, there was never really faith. You know, my mom still mm-hmm. to this day is more science-based, I would say. You know, it's like, mm. well, she'll, like, even though her parents were, and my grandmother was deeply religious, and I had had m- the most amazing conversations about Jesus with my grandmother and, and like, mm. those stories. But my mom was pretty much like, you know, show me the facts, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And she kind of taught me to, to really kind of question everything of like, well, it's a, she would always say they're great stories. You know, she called me goose. So she'd be like, they're great stories, goose, just find the truth in, in the story. Yeah. 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 So that's what I was just curious. So um, I mean, you just said it right there where I was going to basically ask you, you said, find the truth in the story. So some of the words I use is principles. So she was, she was edging you towards this desire for truth. And mm-hmm. it sounds like in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. And to question things, you know, and not to just, you know, believe whatever, you know, I, I, but I was definitely that kid that would get on her nerves. I was the why kid. Why, why, why? And And she would eventually just be like, read a book. (laughs) Well, she was teaching it during the day. So she was done teaching it now, right? Exactly. She's like, I'm with kids all day. I don't want to teach you all. (laughs) So I'm just curious. I'm thinking about like, you know, basically first through seventh grade, I think you said earlier, that's, I can think of like, when I would, I mean, we, we grew up in a religious home and we would go to church. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I first got my first dual tape deck. And the reason that was such a big deal was because I could record, I could leave for church in the morning and set up both tape decks to record because I don't, because Casey Kasem had his top 40 on, right? <laughs> and I was always so pissed because it would cut off like at the top 10 because I'd run out of tape. And when I got that dual deck player and then I could come home and hear, um, I think it was like when Janet Jackson Rhythm Nation came out or Snap, <laughs> or snap Rhythm is a Dancer, you know. I mean, those were the, so did you have access to this stuff or was it all Arabic? Here's what's amazing. The one thing that we got every Sunday was Casey Case and Johnson. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes. And so my mom and I would sit around the little stereo and every Sunday we would listen to Casey Council down. And I, I mean, and I loved it. You know, I, that was the original inspiration for me to be a DJ was that show and Mm. like his storytelling, you know, his thing, all of it and keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Yes. Mm. (laughs) That's awesome. Like it was, it was it. I would practice kind of introducing songs and do all. I wanted to kind of be Casey Kasem. He was my first kind of thing I wanted to be. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of music. So, I mean, you, so I, you, you did have that, so you were able to hear, listen to that music then, even though you were there. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And we did have a Kate, we'd get military TV. So we would get occasional like British shows. So I don't know, like maybe it was like Faulty Towers or something then, I think, you know, Monty Python, those kinds of things. And that was really it. We didn't get much programming, but my grandmother would record on like beta, I think beta mm. back then, all the shows in America. And and when I would see them in the summer, they would, she would just have these tapes filled with all of whatever shows were being played in America so that I could kind of watch something and see what was going on. Um, so that's kind of how I got a little bit of my culture outside of 
uh, Dubai. How long were you in Scotland for? I was only in Scotland about a year and a half. Okay. And that I, was amazing. I was I was bummed out when we left Scotland. I loved mm. it. Was that sort of like a, a little bit of a culture shock, I guess, like going from, like coming from Dubai, going to, yeah. to Aberdeen? Yeah, culture shock, weather shock, you know, all of it. But I I loved Aberdeen. I loved the cold. I liked the the little bit of the gray, the green. Um, I loved just being around the people. I don't know. I just really got a vibe. I, I really loved it. And the school was also an American school. It was also pretty small. You know, there was 12 people in my entire seventh grade. So the care that I got from my teachers were really helpful for me. And for me, you know, I've never been the the, the fastest learner, you know, so it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was really good for me. It was where I found house music for the first time, you know, because it was very UK, you know, driven, you know, all the music, that whole scene was, was just doing so well with electronic music, you know, they were at the forefront of all of it. And so it was on the radio, it was everywhere. And so that's kind of where I found house music was at that time of my life. What was that like when you first heard house music? What was that? Can you think about like? Do you oh my! I can tell you the exact moment. Yeah. So mm. there was, we had we had just kind of moved there, and they do a lip syncing contest once a year, and I'm like the new kid, you know, <laughs> in the seventh <laughs> grade, and everyone competes. So it's like from seventh grade to twelfth grade, like whatever. And I was like, well, I don't care. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do something. I'm going to grab some guys. And do Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine. (laughs) And we won. You know, like, I crushed it. Like, because I love to, like, lip sync. And that was just, I was constantly wanting to be a performer. So I would just practice at home all the time with my broom or whatever I could (laughs) find. (laughs) And we, we crushed it. And that night, one of the seniors did, um... I think it was Black Box Strike It Up or they did they did some Black Box song cuz I don't think it was right maybe it was right on time it could have it could have been mm. I can't remember and I was just at the back of the like um auditorium like what is this music just like the pianos mm. and the the kick drum and the screaming diva I was just like what is going on I've never even heard of this <laughs> and that was it I I went up to them and I was like can you tell me what that was and you know, pretty soon after that, I made my mom drag me to like H and HMV, I think it was back then. And go, I went up to the person. I was like, I need whatever is this plus more of this. And that kind of like started me on my house music journey. So you, you start your journey there. You end up then uh, leaving after being there for a little over a year to head back to the, to the States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back to Louisiana, which was another huge culture shock. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you, are you in high school or junior high school at this point? Eighth. So, just about to go into ninth grade. So, the end of eighth grade. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, mind you, going from an entire grade of 12 people to a class of 36, 38, 40, you know, just in one class. Um, it was, it was pretty brutal for me. I did not do well in high school. Like it just wasn't, mm. it wasn't good for me. 
do you feel like, I mean, you know, for, I feel like for some people, you know, high school is just like an awkward time, you know, mm-hmm. to begin with. Does, did, was it more of like the, maybe the difference in like the, the culture and the experience that you've already had, or was maybe like some of that, like, uh, you really starting to like hone in and, you know, starting discovering like who you are, who I think, you are. Yeah. I think a combination of both. So mm-hmm. I, you know, was really starting to, I guess in Dubai, I, I really was under going through whatever I was going through with my gender. I didn't have language for it by any means, but, right. um, and then when I moved to Scotland, it was still there, you know, like just without any sort of language. Um, and I started to kind of realize, okay, wait, but I like girls. Mm-hmm. So then I was going through my gender stuff being gay also all like all of that all around that same time. And then by the time we moved to Louisiana, like none of it was clear to me, you know, I mm. still wasn't really, I wasn't understanding it. And then to just, it felt like it was a big, huge step backwards in a sense, you know, ob- you know, I felt like I was living in this progressive kind of area, like where, I don't know, it just felt really good to my soul. And then we moved back to Louisiana and it just felt, Icky is the best way that I can remember it, you know, as like a, a kid trying to figure that out. I just didn't like the way it felt. Was something, was house music taken away from you? Was it able for you to access music the way you had been when you were in Aberdeen or was that? So once, removed? once I got to Louisiana, like there was no such thing as house music. No, and I kept right. asking and everybody's like, what do you, you know, what you mean? What you listen to in your house? You know, like nobody <laughs> understood it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, and t- I didn't find it again until years later, you know, when I started DJing in 92, you know, that's when I, I kind of started to find it again. But even then it, t- it really took a while, you know, it wasn't until I started going, I snuck into a lot of clubs. You know, the cool thing about Louisiana was, is there were a lot of teen clubs for whatever mm. reason, you know, it was it was pretty popular. I don't know if that was popular where y'all were, but it was, we had teen clubs like crazy in Lafayette. And a lot of them were super nice, epic, real clubs that had lost their liquor license and became these, you know, teen clubs. So I was clubbing at like 14, you know, Mm -hmm. like it was, it was pretty early for me. And that's where I started to figure out like, okay, this is the closest to that kind of music that I can find. It still wasn't, you know, what I, what I knew, um, but it was close. I was getting closer. So did you start, uh, when did you get like your first equipment for it? We know you, you became an amazing DJ. When did you get your first equipment? So I started playing in 92 and I think I bought my first set of turntables probably quickly after that, you know, um, my friends were all DJs. I was a, a resident DJ, a resident dancer at one of the teen clubs. And so I just would always be in the club. And I went up to the DJ and I was like, hey, will you teach me? And he was like, of course. So I was just practicing on everybody else's gear for a while. Mm-hmm. And my biggest mentor, who's now passed, he had an amazing, like, you know, like, sh- studio space, I guess you could say, that was kind of like his his hangout lounge. And my best friend and I would go to it 
literally almost every day after school. And I would just practice nonstop over and over again for as long as I can remember until my mom finally, you know, was like, all right, I'm going to buy you some turntables. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't, this isn't a phase. You're obviously kind of into it. So just just maybe help, uh, you know, a sort of understand, like when you say practice, you know, I, I feel like that, you know, when people hear the word DJ, you know, they don't always that, that, that sort of connotation of, you know, someone who plays music in a, in a, a club, that doesn't always come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. So when you say practice, can you maybe just walk us through like w- what exactly were you learning? What were you doing? Yeah, so you know, learning what it takes to actually take one record and mix it into another record seamlessly, you know, and mm-hmm. when you are mixing something off off of two turntables together, it's, you know, it's not an easy thing, you know, you're having to match the pitches um, sometimes the records are a little warped or they have a mind on their own. You know, there's there's a definitely a different experience when you're mixing vinyl, say, versus mixing something digitally. Sure. And so the practicing was getting that skill and that technical craft down, like so finely. To me, it was mm-hmm. it was really, really, really important. And thankfully, my mentor we were already in a place of digital. There was already like CDs when I started, but the vinyl was still really popular and he refused to let me even attempt to learn CDs until I had mastered vinyl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so practicing that craft over and over again, practicing learning, you know, what songs go together, what songs don't go together, um, organizing and categorizing my library to how it made sense to me, you know, those kinds of things, just really spending time learning the music and learning how to mix it to, you know, create the experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's truly a craft. I mean, it, it, there's an art form to it. And I, I feel like, you know, uh, being a, you know, a bystander or, you know, being at, you know, clubs and watching, you know, DJs do their thing. It, there really is, it's it's really a craft and it does take you know practice and it does take like you said like knowing where to go and what goes together it's it it's like you know it's you're comparing it to like any other you know creative craft like you know a chef it's like knowing what ingredients go yes. together how they're going to taste it's the same thing with music and doing this you know when you're you're they're mixing it's like you could just see it almost like in their eyes like just knowing where you know how where the two tracks are going to line up and then where the bass drops or you know with the beat yeah. hits and it's just it's i don't know i just get excited but i mean then when you hear it and then you feel that inside your chest i mean it's just like a whole experience so it's a craft it's an it's a magical one too you know mm-hmm. and it's it's unfortunate that a lot of it has been lost a little you know with this digital yeah. age but there are still amazing, you know, storytellers. And and I yeah. find myself to be a storyteller. And and that more than anything, like I really try to create an experience from start to finish. Yeah. Like yeah. and I think that's it's important, yeah. you know. I have benefited from your gift. I remember being in New Orleans with a friend, working in an event, and then finishing work for Southern Decadence, I think it was. And I, I walked over, and I didn't get to hear your whole set, but I, you were over at Oz that night, or mm-hmm. that, you know, maybe even that morning. I forget. But um, 
I just, I had, I had worked basically all, all night, you know, for mm-hmm. second, for anyone who doesn't really know what Southern decadence is, it would be like working Mardi Gras, but specifically like for like the gay community. And, and so it, it's, it's crazy busy. And I had been, you know, dealing with, you know, with, with people all night, you know, at the door. And then, you know, I was like, you know what, like, when do we get the opportunity to, to go and, and be able to hear, you know, to hear Bodhi spin. And so I, I, you know, I got, you know, took a deep breath and was like, kind of got a second wind and I walked in and I was just like, I just felt like my whole body was massaged from the tip of my ears all the way down to my toes. <laughs> and I wasn't vibing in anything at all. And I just felt transported. And, and, uh, that is, uh, I am been around a few people that, that have that gift. And whenever I know that I have the chance, it's like, don't pass up that opportunity to be, to be and to dive in that pool with them. Cause it is such an amazing experience to so maybe when someone hears the word DJ and you think of Casey case, and this is not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's very um, different. Yeah. <laughs> you, you talk about, I just wanted, it was, a, I was looking, you talk about the music soothes the soul, mm. um, sets up new ideas. It can set you up on new adventures um, and then you go on to say music helped you sing the song to become who uh, you really are. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about um, a little bit about, I don't know, I, we're not DJs, so we haven't, what's it like being on the other side of the glass? Yeah. So for me, you know, music was the way that I, you know, it still is, but it was my definitely of how I learned to communicate and to connect in a world where I was feeling um, wrong, you know, like my core wound as a, as, you know, like a, as a kid has been, I'm wrong. You know, that's the story that I've told myself the most, especially because of my gender. So for me with music, it was the space where I could feel that I could communicate as open and as honestly as I needed to you know, without having words or, or without having to put a face to it, if you will, you know, like it was just how I choose to communicate. And so on the other side of the glass, it's, it's interesting because it's been my, um, the message of my choice, right? But at the same time, it's also been this the, the glass is what's kept me, you know, in between people, right, at mm. the same time. And so, for me, I'm constantly trying to reach out and not only touch people musically, but I want to also push them. You know, it's, it's a way that I can feel what's going on in the room and... I want to, you know, it's not, a, it's not a, a control, but I want to shift what's happening in the room based on the energy and the frequencies that I'm feeling from the people. Hmm. With that, I also want to still be somewhat of the conductor of that energy. So I think it's a fine balance between not allowing the crowd to dictate the energy of the room but re- a true artist, I feel like, can really stand in their own artistry and gain the trust of the crowd to then let them submit, if you will, to then be taken somewhere. And for me, my experience with the dance that I do between the floor and myself is that give and receive and that, you know, domin- dominant submission 
experience, if you will, you know, of like, I may take you somewhere you don't want to go, but trust me, <laughs> you'll <laughs> like it when you get there. <laughs> or I hear you, I hear your request and I will, I'll, I'll, I'll go there with you. You know, it's, it's a balance. Um, and for me, music has always been that. And I think I've had to learn how to communicate with myself through that same sort of philosophy of trying to understand myself through that as well in terms of my gender and, you know, just life. Sure. It's, the, you know, it's easy for It's like they say, you know, you don't know what to say, but you can find a song that says exactly what you want to say, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that's the power of music. Yeah. Yeah. Music. So there's a, uh, from your, um, from your website, uh, there is a quote that you, uh, that we pulled. Um, it's, you said music can transform an empty room into a space, love, community, and celebration. And, you know, for both of us, that just, it, it hit both of us um, to, it just struck that chord that that really is what music does. Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, for me personally, you know, I, I think about music in my own life and the experiences that I've had to see like where music shows up. And, you know, we stop and like, think about it. Music shows up in so many spaces. Mm -hmm. It shows up you know, when you walk into a store, there's music playing. When you are, um, when you go to like any kind of celebration, a birthday party, a wedding, you, there's always music. Um, it shows up in times that are, it shows up at, you know, funerals. It shows up in religious services. Music is just such a, a part of our world. It's our, like, it's part of our fabric of existence. And it's, and, to hear you articulate that and say that it literally transforms this empty room and it gives it a space and creates love and community. I mean, that's really what it does. Yeah. And I think so often we take, we take it for granted, you know, that it's just there, but when it's not there, I think that's when you notice it and you're like, Hey, yeah. <laughs> something's not right. You know, yeah. as a, uh, you know, I, I, planned events for most of my professional career. And it's like the one thing that you need is music. I remember one time uh, I was working at this restaurant and on New Year's Eve, um, the, the, oh the, the sound system or the music system, it blew at 12.01. It was what? like, everybody was like, this is great. And like, whatever. And like, it just it blew and we ran back to like where like the, you know, the sound system was or whatever. And we were rustling through and we were trying to figure out like what happened still to this day. I don't think we, we realized what happened, but somehow we got it back online and we played, um, Oh, Thelma Houston. Um, uh, that, uh, Don't oh, leave me this way. that's it. And the whole room went nuts. And it was like, they totally forgave us, uh, for what happened. And it was like that. And then it just, you know, it sailed for the rest of the night. So, wow. <laughs> oh, I've been there before. <laughs> I get it. The panic that you can't oh. even describe the panic that goes through your whole body when something uh. like that happens. Your heart just beats right out of your chest. Oh, the greatest is when the crowd boos you as if you've done it on purpose. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I'm just doing this yeah. just to piss you yeah. off. <laughs> that was my goal. <laughs> Bodhi, so just to um, 
people that don't have, have not met you or, or know your story. So you went from, you know, hanging out in Louisiana, you took a little bit of a jump to Miami, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, there came a point musically, you know, after I had started DJing in 92, you know, I just, I did everything that I felt like I could do in Lafayette. There was, there was just nowhere to grow. You know, I had to go somewhere if I was really going to take music farther and become the DJ that I was envisioning for myself, I had to go somewhere. And Miami seemed like it. I was just like, okay, well, here goes. Here we go. <laughs> Bodie, did you get a sign or was there a feeling or did you feel like something was guiding you or, or bringing you to Miami? So it, it's really kind of interesting. That there's quite kismet stories around all of it, but... I, you know, I, I definitely liked the sound of like, say the East coast and I loved the New York sound and mm. I was definitely too afraid to go to New York. And there was a lot of music coming out of Miami that I really enjoyed as well. Um, so mm. like Robbie Rivera and a lot of underground tribal stuff that was coming out when I would read the back of my records, I would see, you know, Miami on it. So mm. I definitely had a vibe of like, okay, there's this, this tribal scene musically down there. And one of my friends from Lafayette was actually moving to Fort Lauderdale. And he was like, why don't you come with me and help me move? And mm. I was like, all right. You know, so we all packed up his U-Haul and drove there and stayed there for like a week or two. And we went clubbing and I heard that sound and I was just like, oh my God. Okay. Mm. Okay. So we went back and not shortly after that, you know, that was it for me. I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to make the choice and make this happen. And pretty, pretty quickly after that, um, I somehow <laughs> convinced a friend to come with me. <laughs> God rest her soul. <laughs> but she, she came with me and thank God she did. She ended up loving it. Um, and we just started from, and I mean, from nothing, y'all. Like yeah. it, it was, I literally packed my clothes and all of my gear and my, you know, the most important records, a lot of them I left in Louisiana with friends mm. and we had no furniture. We had, mm. we had nothing. It was like living off of ramen, that kind of vibe, you know? <laughs> yeah. And what's funny is on the way, like we were, you know, we just were getting into kind of South Florida and power 96 um, mm. came on, you know, like we were able to catch yeah. that station and they started running an ad looking for a female DJ. They were having a female DJ competition and they were like posting it and it was going to happen that very weekend that we were getting there. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go for this. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So we get to where we're going and we're driving down Oakland Park Boulevard to go to, to live, you know, we were going to stay with our friend until we found a place. And there was this huge store called the DJ store that I saw on the right. And I looked at it and I turned to my friend and I was like, I'm going to work there. That's going to be where I work. Watch me. I'm going to work there. And I'm going to win that competition this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, all right. You know, so we go, you know, we get settled. I go to have the competition that weekend and I won. And wow. It was, you know, like it's not a paid gig. You were, you were just to become a hot mixer 
to mm. where once once or twice a week you would go on the air and 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 DJ. And that's actually when I met Tracy Young. They actually mm. were looking to find another female that would actually kind of have a rivalry against her. And we ended up being friends. We were like, we're not going to have a rivalry. This is stupid, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of how that whole thing started. And I ended up getting a job at, at that DJ store. I walked in and I was like, can I apply this and that? And they called me back. They were like, could you, could we just test you out for a day? You know, I remember <laughs> them saying that and I was like, sure. sure. <laughs> and I sold so many records and so much gear. Like they couldn't believe it. They were just like, all right, you're hired. And I was like, all right, good. Cause I knew I just, I felt it. I was like, this is it. I'm going to make this place my job. And so, yeah, that's how that whole thing kind of started. That's so I think that that's so interesting. So on the show, we hear people, you know, talk about sort of that, that moment where they, they either realize that where they were, they weren't, they've, they've learned everything that they've learned, you know, in that one place and that they weren't able to learn anything else you know, in that space anymore. So then it's sort of like just paying attention to like the clues, the breadcrumbs, the signs of like, where else do we need to go? Where, what else should I be paying attention to? And it's like when the those signs present themselves and you start following them, it just, it, it's always the same story. It just, mm-hmm. it becomes, it's like a, it's like a snowball, just kind of like a rolling down the mountain where it's just like, you know, you move there, you had nothing. And then it just, you know, as you start getting, involved and you you took that you know the chance and you uh you know enter the competition and you got a job at the store i mean that's how that's how it works so i think it's it's a reminder you know for myself it's a reminder for people listening too it's like you know when you know or when you when you get that feeling that that something is got to change or you've got to do something different it's like just follow it and it may not make sense at the time um but it but once you start doing it, it just, it, it can totally change your life. And for you, I mean, it, it really did change your life. Did you ever have like a, um, um, an idea or like a vision of where you saw yourself going as a DJ? I did. Um, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I just knew what I wanted to feel it, it to feel like, you know, I feel like I have, I didn't have language for it, but even as a kid, I've been like a master manifester, I would say, you know, like I was just very vision forward of whatever that was. And I think I was doing that even as a kid, but I didn't know exactly what it looked like. I just knew what I wanted it to feel like. And I knew I wanted to be bigger than what my imagination would allow me to say when I was in Louisiana, you know, like Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to be in, in clubs and this, you know, whatever that was, but I had never even experienced it really to even have it in my mind's eye. I just could feel what I was looking for, you know, cause, cause in Louisiana, we didn't have those Mm -hmm. sorts of experiences or events or even my first circuit party. I would say probably when I went to my first circuit party, that was a big shift for me and like into seeing what was possible Mm. um and so that allowed for that vision to kind of come into play of like okay i want to do this i could i could totally do this because i I definitely came from more of the rave scene than anything yeah um and just remembering having you know those djs and those parties and just wanting 
to be that, you know, wanting to be that person on that flyer. You know, those were kinds of the visioning that I was having for, having for myself. So when you talk about this feeling, was it a feeling that of like uh, the feeling that you got of like what you were able to do when you were, you know, playing in a club and like how you were transforming yes. the room? Is that what, what you mean? Yeah. It, was there any feeling of like... Um, giving you something like filling you up with something that you felt like you were missing in your own life. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think my whole experience with wanting to be a performer has come from wanting some sort of external validation or love that I wasn't giving myself a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that was also a persona. I needed to have a, some sort of a persona of something because who I knew myself to be inside, you know, was, was wrong, you know, or, or at least I had thought I'd perceived that it was. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, there definitely was like this feeling of, well, if, if, you know, part of this, well, I, I, if I could make the world love me, then maybe one day I'd love me. Oh. You know what I mean? Like that kind of, well, that kind of thing. And you, you say, and it's interesting that I love that you said the world because your career took off and you have 15 years that you were really like hitting the road, like hitting the pavement. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like I, I would say I'm so bad at dates and all of that because like I think <laughs> yeah. in records, but like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it was a pretty, it was pretty intense, you know, and, and I was... DJing sometimes three and four nights a week. Um, then sometimes in all, you know, like flying in between cities, this and that. It was pretty intense for a little while. And then that kind of backed off. But yeah, I mean, it was pretty, pretty hardcore for a little while, I would say. And I would say the last few years, I really kind of pumped the brakes and slowed down a, a lot and started to choose a little bit more and try to find that balance. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was pretty intense. The scene was different back then too, you know, like mm, yeah. everything, you know, was different. And, and um, you know, and I, and I think, just, and I think we should, I'm glad you brought that up is because, you know, we've used words like rave and circuit party. And, um, can you just kind of, from your experience, what, what are they both and what the differences between the two? Yeah, so, I mean, I would say that they are technically the same, except they just attract different audiences. Ah, okay. so, you know, they're both really big, huge dance electronic music events. A circuit party is going to be one that attracts, you know, majority, 90% gay men. Um, a rave is going to be all walks of life, everything that you can imagine under the sun. Um, you know, so the raves feel a little bit more underground, the music ranges from anything from dubstep to drum and bass all the way to techno and trance. Whereas in a circuit party, it's very, it can be kind of one note. You know, there's one sound that kind of goes on with it. It's a very, you know, big room, anthemy kind of sound. But the energy, you know, there is, is, I guess the intention behind both of them are kind of similar. They're both big, huge electronic, you know, like dance gatherings, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, and I would say, you know, now I definitely resonate more with a rave festival vibe. That, that's just who I am as a kid. I'm like a raver at heart, you know, like I love being <laughs> at a festival. Um, there's something that I, I really enjoy about the diversity that goes on at festivals rather than circuit parties. But then at the same time, I, you know, I love being around all the boys, you know, that feels mm. very much at home to me as well. So for me, it's, you know, they're both amazing for different reasons, you know? Yeah. So you, so you have this success, ex, you know, externally, I almost kind of feel like I can, like for myself, like I was growing on the outside, but on the inside, and then when people talk about like, not the word like dead inside, but like I was hurting, like I was in pain, like in my mm -hmm. own life when I had some success or some earlier years. In 2011, you decided you started feeling another calling or a pull, and mm -hmm. that was to a completely different place. What did that, did it, did, was it an onset or was it a whisper? How did that start coming to you? I think, you know, everything starts as a whisper and we just tend to <laughs> usually <laughs> ignore it until the, <laughs> until the two by four slaps us across the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think, you know, there, I was coming to a point where I was really just unfulfilled and unhappy in all areas, you know, not still not really having an understanding about my gender, not to the point of, of even questioning it, you know, it was just so buried that even the shows that I were playing were unfulfilling, playing all over the country. And I was, I didn't feel like I was connected to the music anymore. I, I wasn't feeling like I was connected to the circuit anymore. Mm. And I can remember, you know, it was probably the, the darkest moments of, of my life, I would say. And I remember playing a really big event and it was my birthday weekend and I didn't go on until 6 a.m. My set was from 6 a.m. to 12 and none of my closest like tribe or friends, like my loved ones were there. And I can just remember staring off into the like sea of men of just like wanting so bad to get off and to just stop everything, you know, just, it was a really big aha moment for me. And when I went back to the hotel, that was the big shift for me. I, I had have contemplated suicide met multiple times in my life. I had some scares, you know, when I was younger and living in Scotland. But this particular time, it was to the point where I was really starting to kind of plot my suicide and figure out how it was going to happen. And that gig was just this tipping point of like, this is it. Either I'm going to remix my life or I'm going to take it. And, and mm. it was, that was the shift for me. Like I knew, no, nope, I got to like really do something about this or, or I'm really going to off myself, unfortunately. And yeah, th that was the last gig that I remember feeling like that. And it really started to shift. I didn't take a lot of gigs after that. I really started to say no. Mm. And I started doing a lot of deep work with my therapist and just kind of, that was the really big shift. I came to Colorado to just work on myself. Mm. I, you know, I think it's so interesting. So, so many times, you know, you hear people and I'm, I'm guilty of this myself, you know, of I, I put all of this work and energy into 
the work that I do, the my career, my you know putting giving you know time energy to you know clients and you know the different projects that I'm working on and those the the one thing I think that maybe resonates resonates with me like listening to you, you describe this is like not taking care of myself mm-hmm. and and knowing as i'm going through the process the way that i'm working and the way that i'm um i'm doing things is actually doing more damage to myself internally than it is and it's like it it sometimes i think for some people it it takes sort of this like big moment where you're like okay <laughs> like I, I i get it now like i hear it i see it it's like you said it's like that two by four slapping you in the face and it's like you've got to make a change otherwise you just you can't keep going this way and i think you know for myself uh i've i've been there like i've gone through that where i was i i knew that i if i didn't make a major change in my life that it would uh be detrimental so i think i we hear this so much or i hear this so much where it's like we put all of this time and energy and effort into our work, into mm-hmm. our career, but we don't put the time and energy into ourselves. And I think if we would learn to balance, you know, both, I just think of like how, like how amazing of can you be? So, yeah. Um, but it sounds I, like you, I think our country does that too. You know, we've been totally. Americans. Yeah, we're taught to you work to live. You don't, you know, you right. live to work. You don't work yeah. to live. Yeah, yeah. 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 But you, it sounds like when you were in Colorado, um, that you you really, when you first got there, you really put a lot of time and energy into yourself. Can you talk to us a little bit about how, what that what that looked like for you? Yeah, you know, so I was before I moved to Colorado, I I was meditating. A lot. And I just kept hearing this, you know, go to Boulder, go to Boulder, go to Boulder in my meditations. And I'd never been to Boulder. I'd been to Denver maybe once. And finally, I was just like, well, this thing is getting louder and louder. So I'm just going to go. Packed everything up again, you know, sold everything and moved. And when I got here, it was still pretty, I would say the first couple of months, it was still pretty dark. For me, you know, I was still really trying to figure out what was going on with me. And I can remember that one of my coaches at the time would send me like little cards in the mail, just, you know, like, just keep going, just keep going. Cause she, she just knew, you know, and I was seeking whatever or whoever was going to be my next sort of modality or whatever healing kind of thing that that I knew. You know, I was kind of praying for that, whatever that was going to be to show up in my meditation. And thankfully it did. You know, I found my therapist. And between really diving deep with her and finding, like falling madly in love with nature, you know, here, Mm. that combination really started to shift things for me because it's funny. It's like you live in South Florida, but I never went to the beach. Mm-hmm. And like, that's probably part of that balance thing as well, right? You know, you mm-hmm. took it for granted. You weren't there. I could go there anytime, but I never, you know, took the time to go. And here I was so enamored by just the beauty of the mountains that I had, it called me like no other um, thing had you know nothing else calls me like mountains do Mm. 
And so I would just have these really long walks and being outside and I was only DJing at the time, you know, and so I had my weeks kind of kind of free, you know, to just be outside and do whatever I could and and work on myself. And I remember, you know, my therapist was like, you have to trust the process because I had started to do hypnotherapy with her. And I remember her saying, like, it's going to get darker before it gets lighter. And I need you to just kind of trust this because you're going to awaken all of this stuff from the subconscious, you know. For myself, it felt icky. It felt mm-hmm. dark. And I would meet with somebody once a week. And I remember when I really did kind of more of the inventory where I went really deep for a couple of weeks. It's important. What I'm trying to say is it's important not to go there by yourself. Yeah. To have a guide, to have a guru. And, uh, and then also sometimes if, even if it's like a small group thing. Yeah. I love group work. Right. I yeah. love group work. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, I did for years, big, a lot of group work. And I think that was what really shifted me the most, honestly, because you really get to see yourself through the lens of someone else and be in somebody else's eyes and see yourself in somebody else. It, it, it just is so powerful. And then you witness other people's transformation, which then is really powerful, which then inspires you for your own. It's yeah. It, I didn't really start to reconcile my gender until the group work. That was really when I was like, okay, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta work on this. <laughs> so there, so, uh, when you were doing this group work, so, uh, and you say that you really had to work on your gender. So what did that, like, what did that look like? Did you see that with somebody else or was it I just did. other? Oh, you yeah. did. So I oh. had someone else in our, in my group who was a they, mm-hmm. and you know, there was, I remember, I think at first there was probably some triggers, obviously, you know, like mm-hmm. it was the first time I'd ever really heard of anyone using a they, them pronoun. And so that kind of was up for me a little bit. And was there any, can I, sorry to interrupt. Was there any judgment there? Oh yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So much. And, and jealousy, it was, you know, judgment, but really it was jealousy, you know, that mm. was fueling the judgment. And so, yeah, just had having to, but I was witnessing between them and their life with their partner because their partner was also in the group and to see how sweet their love was and to see like people like me can actually have a partner. I'm not a freak. You know, all of those mm-hmm. things that kind of go on with you, or at least for me and my, my transness, um, I was able to kind of see another side of it that it doesn't, that, there's possibility there, you know, it doesn't have to be this doom and gloom. Like I'm, I'm wrong, which I had been kind of, you know, telling myself for, for as long as I could remember. Mm. Um, yeah. And when you grow up thinking I'm wrong, you'll do everything in the world you can to do, to be right. <laughs> Cause that's what the shadow does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> So a lot came out of that. So part of, I guess, part of that then is, is that you, so you were able to see um, more of, I guess, like a positive image of what you've just never been able to see in your own mind or maybe anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Um, And I know, you know, it just like, again, it's like, 
I say this, I feel like I say this often on the show, but I just feel like this is why representation in Mm -hmm. all forms of media, it's just so important to have those positive role models to be able to to see, to look up to, to say, like, you know, especially if you're a child and growing up and you're, like you said earlier, like for you and I like, no, for myself, like I didn't have the language to describe like what I was feeling, why I was feeling different. I just Mm -hmm. knew that something was different. But if I could see somebody who I can identify with on you know, on my favorite TV show or in a movie or um, at my school or, you know, um, something, you know, it, it, uh, it allows me to then almost give myself permission to be myself. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I love, you know, that that's what you were able to see, you know, you were able to see someone like you, you know, to, you know, not exactly you, but like you, where you could say, that's it, that, that I I can see it. And I could see what it looks like. So many people, I, I feel like, you know, not to, you know, take this anywhere else, but I feel like this is this is like a common thing in the human experience. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, think about like, uh, someone who's, you know, this is like totally arbitrary, but like someone's like, like you're redecorating their house um, when they're working with a designer. A designer puts together renderings so people can see what they're getting themselves into. And I, I just feel like that shows up in a lot of different ways. I feel like what we're talking about is, you know, much more of a, a deeper level. But I think as humans, it's just important for us to be able to see and being able to point to that's it that that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking or that's what yeah. that's what's there. Yeah. And I, I remember as a kid, you know, my closest thing to trying to understand myself was Boy George. Oh, and yeah. he was all over my wall, you know, yeah. he was like plastered. I was in lo- madly in love with Boy George. And you know, even then Rocky Horror Picture Show, you know, and I was super turned on and like excited and not, and confused at the same time, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and then I don't know if you watched that uh, Netflix documentary, the trans, the one that was just around, around disclosure. Uh, Disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot how deeply impacted I was by so much of that. Yeah. Mm. And like that Ace Ventura scene. Yeah. When I resaw it again as an adult from their lens, I was like, fuck. Mm. Pardon my French. No, know. it's okay. Um, but that was really, 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 really impactful for me that I I'd forgotten about, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. And boys don't cry, especially. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, it it's we have to have more representation of, you know, folks like me in positive lights, yeah. you know, because yeah. the, the narrative that I grew up with in my own mind was not only I'm as I'm wrong, but then I must be a freak mm. because that's how, you know, they're portrayed, you know, folks yeah. like me are portrayed as that. So. You just can't stop thinking about like, I remember being in when Ace Ventura came out, and how kids just imitated that and knowing that, you know, cause that he had, was it that he had kissed? He, mm-hmm. she, right. She was a, a he, or was she trans? Was she trans? I don't really quite remember. I don't even know if they even gave language to it, but she I was definitely trans. Um, yeah. you know, 
and he kissed her and yeah then he that whole scene just so um dehumanizing you know um and 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 i just remember like uh just like being then brought into the classroom like on the playground yeah, um, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I would really recommend, I mean, I'll give yourself some space if you watch it, because it can bring up some things that, that are uh, that are hard on the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe some things you didn't realize that, that you had repressed from your childhood. But I always recommend, if, if you haven't had a chance to go on Netflix and just take some time to, to learn um, about others and yourself, it, it's really helped me to understand myself, even though I'm not trans, but to understand myself better and to understand trans people and just understand society and what we've how what what we do and how it matters Mm -hmm. um as a community um with one another so bodhi uh uh, literally uh, this week a year ago you you came out no i did (laughs) 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 is my voice deeper I did. I know it's been a wild and crazy year and transitioning in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's quite crazy. You know, I was just sharing with someone who actually just came out as well. And I, I'd shared with them, you're going to have a lot of highs and lows. And that's what this year has been, you know, for the most part, it's been the, you know, mostly highs, but there definitely have been you know, a lot of peaks and valleys with it. And I'd say in the beginning, when I first came out, it was just like, oh, this massive just feeling of of joy and just freedom, finally, you know, mm-hmm. like to just be able to just say the words I'm trans out loud and like feel good about saying it, you mm-hmm. know, not shaming myself as a secret, you know, or like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't even use that language for myself until a year ago it's like i was so ashamed of even saying just the word trans and until i finally was just like oh my god i gotta throw this up y'all this is it (laughs) here we go here we go so like in the beginning it was just this massive exhale you know this release Uh, like like you cannot imagine and that just continued and then covid hit I, I didn't have any plans to have surgery until actually like, you know, later in the year. And with COVID, I was just like, well, my gigs are canceled. What else am I going to do? I might as well go yeah. for this, you know, like, because, you know, n- no time like the present. And I'm so glad that I did. I had surgery July 16th, top surgery. Mm. And the hardest thing and most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Mm. But so worth it you know in the end obviously and yeah you know here i am ups and downs and all the emotional waves in between (laughs) yeah i you know we've been jeff and i've both been following your journey uh i'd say over the last you know year or so and you know what's so beautiful about what you what you did you know on social is you you were very open and honest about what you were doing. And, and sometimes you talk about like what you were feeling or why you're going through things. And, you know, I think we, we use social media, you know, so much, so many people do, you know, to just sort of like broadcast, like all of just the good that's going on in our Mm -hmm. lives. And I think, you know, you really, 
used what I loved about it is you just used this platform that you had to just tell people like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going through. I, I know people were asking you questions and engaging with you where maybe it's not so much of uh, people like asking questions. So like some, I guess, you know, some of it was for people that maybe they weren't sure about something and they were able to ask you questions, but like the love and the support, like I saw, you know, like the, just in comments and, you know, likes and loves and all that kind of stuff. It's like it, not that that's to, to fill you up or, you know, give you something, but I think just talking earlier about, you know, like that Ace Ventura movie, right. Mm -hmm. It's like we've, it shows we've come, a long way. I know that there is a lot more work to do and there's probably always going to be work to do, but it really, it just shows this sign of like, you know, times are changing, you know, people are changing. And um, I just think that the way that you really were, that you approached it and you were open and honest with people, I think it was just so beautiful. And I know for myself, I really appreciated you, uh, you doing that for the world. Mm, thank you so much for saying that. I I kind of vacillated with all of it and I was remember talking to my partner of like well there's really no other way but to bring everybody with me because how else do you transition you know it's like right. how else do you really transition if you don't everyone has to transition with you you know yeah. and so for the most part I I kind of tend to to be outspoken about like whatever it is that I'm feeling or whatever it is that I'm I'm doing and I just felt that this was another moment where it had to really just be completely shown you know all mm-hmm. it it had to be and mind you there were a lot of people in my family that had never known they they found out through that post and mm-hmm. I knew that that was going to be the case but it was what I decided to to do and I also know like I mean <sighs> there's not a lot of people in my world. I'm the first trans person in so many of my friends' worlds. Yeah. And so I, for someone who has the majority of gay men in, in my tribe, there I'm the first for a lot of them, and especially a trans masculine, which mm-hmm. is, is not super common. And so, so much of that experience with, even with my audience has been, is predominantly gay male. I felt too like, there needs to be an understanding of what this means. And maybe I'm this person that can help them understand that a little bit more. And because there is a, you know, like the, the trans community doesn't get as much love, you know, right. in our world. And I, I guess it, I felt like, well, I know that people love me and people care for me and I'm going to just trust that they're going to accept this and, it's going to be what it's going to be. And some people are going to have shit to say about it and others mm-hmm. won't, you know, and it's so in the end, I'm really glad that I was as public as I was and that I could bring people along because I think it's important for people to see that people like me, you know, are here and yeah. we deserve to be here and we deserve to have the same rights and the same love and everything else that you get. Yeah. Yeah. Because trans can mean a lot of different things mm-hmm. to, to to people, and I'm learning that from, from having wonderful conversations with people like yourself. You said uh, trans masculine, so I would like if you could talk about that also, and then also what works for you for pronouns as well too, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I go by they them pronouns. 
I also, he doesn't bother me if, if people say he, she does bother me. I'm not going to lie, <laughs> but my preference is they, them, um, trans masculine is, you know, uh, for me, it's, it's a trans person who's more on the masculine, you know, uh, side of things, obviously, you know, like mm. there's, I'm trans. I don't identify as a female as, you know, my assigned female at birth is female and I don't identify as that. I, I feel of more of a trans masculine. My gender, I I really like non-binary. It feels good to me. To it just feels really good. Mm-hmm. So when someone asks, you know, what's your gender? <laughs> non-binary feels really good. Thankfully, I live in a state where non-binary is recognized. We can have X's on our driver's license, which is amazing. We're I, we're one of the I don't know how many states can do it now, but that's actually a really awesome thing. So yeah, so for trans masculine, for me, what it means is just, you know, I am more on the masculine side of trans, you know, that's the the way that I lean, you know. But for the most part, I would just consider myself trans, you know, and, and non-binary as my, as my gender. But when I spoke about it in that um, context, it's like, there's not a lot of us that people find out about in our community, right? Or like in, mm. in, 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 we see a lot of male to female, you know, um, mm-hmm. among, but there's not a whole lot of, you know, female to male or, so that's just kind of how I was mentioning it, you know, and it does mean a lot of different things. And, and I'm trying to f- sort all of that out with myself too, you know, of like, I have moments where sometimes I'm with sway and I'm like, I'm a trans man, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like, and I'm being playful of trying to try that on. I'm like, does that feel true or whatever, you know? And it's like, I, because I think it's important to like figure out what feels really, really good to you, you know? And I, and I think I wish that, you know, like I'm happy to see that kids are having that opportunity now, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because, what would it look like if if we were in more of a society where you know kids had their choice you know a little bit in when they were growing up and they could kind of explore in in gender yeah and for me they them feels right it's just something that just feels good because i don't really identify fully either with male or female mm. and the they just that non-binary space with a they, them pronoun just feels almost like in the space of music where it just can mm-hmm. flow either mm-hmm. way, you know? And that's, yeah, that's, that's what feels good. Yeah. Uh, the quote, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what you're doing. You're taking yeah. the step and you're just feeling it out. Like you don't have to know. It's not, it's just about what feels right. And I love, it's like, it's just letting things flow and seeing, you know, what works for you. And I feel like, you know, in a lot of different ways, you know, people, people, we should give ourselves permission to do that, you know, Mm -hmm. as adults, Um, you know, kids are allowed to do it, but for so many, for, you know, for whatever reason, someone made up that rule that when you become an adult, (laughs) you can't do those things anymore. And it's just not, you know, that's not the way it should be. 
So, but really appreciate you sharing, you know, all of that with us. We really appreciate that. Um, I know we, we were, we talked about just kind of going back a little bit about your, uh, when you first kind of got to Colorado and you were going through this process and you were doing some group work, there's something, another discovery that you had, and it was not so much a shift in career, but adding to your career. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about, um, what else you discovered you doing that self-work? Yeah. When I was, you know, like, I kind of, the, the way that I see things, it's like interesting when I look back on even in my childhood as well and, and kind of coming up to this moment that you're speaking of, the two subjects that I was fascinated with the most were um, either psychology or personal development or, and music. It was the only two things that could really kind of hold my attention. And I really, in, in high school, I thought I was going to become a therapist, you know, like that was the other option for me. Mm-hmm. And when I started to do the group work, I, and I, w- I would say even before I moved to Colorado, I was already kind of dipping my toes into, you know, transformational work um, and doing different types of workshops and seminars and, and those kinds of things. But once I got into the really deep dive stuff, the deep, much deeper work in Colorado, then it really started to kind of open my eyes to things. And I would say probably a couple of years in, I just, I think it just was like a natural feeling of like, man, I am not the only person that is feeling this, that Mm. needs this. You know, like imagine if we all could have this, if this was part of everyone's basic need structure to have the, you know, like the mental health care and the, you know, the healing of all of our traumas, because we all have them, you know, mm-hmm. like it, and what would the society look like? You know, what would our, what would nightlife look like? What would um, DJ culture look like? Mm-hmm. What would music, you know, and artists, because so much of us create from such a pain point, mm-hmm. you know, and I was one of those artists as well that I felt that if I don't suffer over this mix, then it's not worth it. And if I don't, you know, burn my hands into the ground, you know, (laughs) then it's not good enough or whatever those stories that I would tell myself about, you know, the music. And when I was able to heal those parts of me, it just felt like I got to help other people do this, you know, Mm. like it, it just became this moment of like, yeah, I'm going to do this for other people. I want to help other people get to this place too. Because I I want to live in a world where more people feel free to express the art or whatever it is that their heart's calling is. And in order to live in a world like that, we need more people woke, you know, like in their mm-hmm. hearts wide open of that and free of the things that hold us back. So it just became apparent like, okay, I'm going to, take a next step, whether that's going to be coaching, go to school for, to be a therapist, whatever it was. I just remember saying, okay, I'm going to do something. Hmm. Um, And I, I ended up taking the life coaching route um, and hypnotherapy route because those were the things that really, really worked for me. And I honestly, I didn't want to go back to school for so long. (laughs) Like I got to find new modalities that can get to this to help folks. So my trifecta is, you know, life coaching, hypnotherapy, and sound healing. 
um, and yeah, deep, deep dives with folks through Remix Your World. Remix Your World. What a great title too. It's that common thing of not common, but uh, when people that are, that are really deeply wounded, then like get healed and then they get to heal other people. Mm-hmm. That, that active service that you provide now. Yeah. My therapist told me once, I remember her looking at me when, cause I, I would start to assist for her after a while in, in other um, workshops that she was doing. And I remember her looking at me and saying the wounded becomes the healer. Mm. And that really really resonated with me of like okay yeah 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 i mean just the name just the name remix your world like mm-hmm. so you you're a product of that name you have yes. remixed your i mean and in so many different ways you know in your 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 uh you know, personal life, your career, your yourself. I mean, there's just so many different ways that you've been able to do that. So uh, the, uh, it seems like the most fitting title for, for, uh, the work that you're doing. Yeah. It, it feels, um, everything is a remix, you know, everything is a remix. And I, when looking back on it, I really realized that my whole world, my whole life has been about transition from Mm -hmm. moving to Dubai, to moving to Scotland, to learning to take records and transition from this song to this song. I mean, it's, everything has been about a transition and that is, you know, the art of a remix. It's, you know, it's, so yeah, it just fit. But it came from that moment of after that gig of saying, I'm either going to remix my life or take it. Yeah. And originally I was going to call it Remix Your Life. And and I wanted something that felt bigger. Mm. And world, it's just, it has such more weight, you know, when you think of what, of your world, because it's like all of people that are in your world, what you want to, how you want to show up for your world and the world. It just felt you know, bigger it. So I'm just, neither one of you can see me, (laughs) but as soon as you said that it like hit, I have tears in my eyes. It just hit my heart differently. It just, it's a, it's much, it's a much bigger, you know, feeling it's making you think bigger than yourself. Yes. Yeah. And that's where the magic is because (laughs) when you get into that space of service of like, man, how can I, take my gifts and really create something with them. That's where the the magic happens. It's like moving to a beat. It's mm-hmm. like being on a dance floor and moving and just bopping through life. I could yeah. I just see it and feel it. Yeah. So, and the wonderful thing is about the service that you do is that break this down, you do yeah. coaching and then you also do, um, uh, an actual course. Mm-hmm. You've actually got one coming up in February. The- yeah. Right. And that's called CIJ. Can we talk CIJ. about CIJ? Yeah. So creative insight journey, CIJ for short. Yeah. So this, it's a beautiful story with, with CIJ, but I took CIJ. Wow. I mean, it must've been, maybe it was 2010 because it was right before I moved to Colorado, about a year before I moved to Colorado, I think. And my partner at the time was getting, um, becoming a trainer for it and she needed you know like her little pilot group and that kind of thing (laughs) and i was in in the pilot and there is an exercise that we do in 
week four, um, which is all about penetrating questions and cultivating intuition. And there's a meditation that I take people on that takes you 20 years into the future. But so when I did the class, you know, I was the student and it takes you 20 years into the future. And there's a moment when you drop in and you ask yourself, what is a name that you would like to be called any other than, than your name? And that was when Bodhi came to me, was that course in that meditation. And never really knowing that what I was going to do with Bodhi, you know, like, but that was the name. And when I moved to Colorado a year after that, I decided that that was it. I was just going to start introducing myself as Bodhi. Hmm. And um, yeah, and so once I became a coach, I knew that that was going to be something I wanted to offer as well. So I got trained and developed in that course as well. And yeah, I, this last year, this year, the last class I taught, it was the first time I taught the class as Bodhi. And when we did the little the meditation, it was just a really sweet moment of like, wow, this is like 10 years ago when this is how this name came to me. And here I am facilitating this for these amazing humans. Who mm. knows what their name is going to be and what it's going to be for them in 10 years? Because mm. that's the beauty of this course and just with Remix Your World in general. It's like, it's, it's not an instant gratification, right. you mm. know? It's like... The ultimate thing of being, you know, a teacher or a leader is just the seeds that I'm just there to plant, you know, mm. and help them plant them. And years later, I get these emails or these texts or these things of like, oh my gosh, remember when I said I wanted to do that? This has now happened, mm. you know, and it's, there's, you know, some really sweet magic that goes on in the course. And, and I love it. I use it every single day. It's practical tools that anyone can can take from the from the first class you know mm. it's it's helped me on my journey so much so it, it just felt like a natural fit for me to be one of the trainers um, mm. so yeah i love it so Bodhi, with your uh, cij courses coming up in february how, how many uh spaces are yeah i keep it pretty tight and um it's a 12 person class so occasionally I think I've only made an exception once to even go above 12 because I, I really, really like the intimacy. Mm -hmm. um, so right now, as we're having this conversation, I've got six spots left. Okay. And yeah, I mean, and I offer them three times a year here in Colorado. I've, I've taught them inside companies, which is really awesome too, to take um, teams through it. Mm. It's... It's so, awesome. can, so, so can you be any, as far as, uh, is it You can be anywhere because yeah. it is virtual. It's all done on Zoom. It's from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, MST. It's eight weeks long and two hours a week. And yeah, it's, it's yeah. quite, it's quite powerful. It's group work, you know, I mean, you know, from being with doing group work yourself, there's so much power in the community aspect yep. of it. Yep. And it's really fun, you know. It's it's really it's really fun. It's you. It's pretty funny. Like there's an ongoing joke, and I wonder if this is ever going to shift. But every class, it ends up being like maybe one girl, and I'm like, here it is, just like my dance floor again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So a quick question for you: If someone's listening right now and they're intrigued by this, is there like sort of an ideal candidate to take the course with you? 
so my ideal candidate would be someone who's really ready, you know, and like, and I mean, really, really ready because there comes a moment when you're like, God, I want to make a change. We all say that, right? I want to make a change. I want to make a change. But there has to be a moment when you're like, this is it. I'm actually going to do something. I'm going to physically make a change and be committed to this Mm -hmm. and show up. And even though I'm scared, and even though I have no idea what to expect, but I know that something on the other side is waiting for me, mm-hmm. I'm a yes. I'm a full yes to this. Yeah. That is like the requirement, yeah. you know, because I, I, I say this to my students of who you show up as this in class, like who you show up to be in class is a representation of who you are showing up to be in life. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to shift that, that starts to change with how you show up in class. You know, are you the kind of person that's going to be on time? Are you the kind of person that's going to do the work? That's going to, all those things are going to show up of like, wow, these are the habits that I'm either doing in my life or I'm not doing in my life. And if you want to change your life, you have to change your habits. And if you Mm want to change your habits, you have to say yes to doing something that you've never done before. Mm -hmm. Or else I'm the same person. Yeah. 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 Well, it's just like that. Uh, uh, if you if you keep doing the same thing that you've been doing, you're going to get the same results. It's like result. kind of like an a, insanity. A, yeah, yeah, it's like a dog chasing its tail. You're just yeah. go. You're spinning in circles. Yeah. So yeah. so it sounds like that some open mindedness and some willingness, and uh, and then just show up, right? It's, it just show up. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I have a lot of people that think, oh, do I need to be creative and whatever? And and no, you know, like it's not about that. It's about creating a life you want, not having to be an artist or being a creator. And what people find is that they really are creative in a way that they would have never looked at creativity, you know? And then I have artists that come through that find completely new ways to remix their modality and new ways of, of doing their art. Usually, you know, the common theme is transition and not, you know, gender by any means, but just life transition. People, there's, they're just looking for something. Something's not feeling right. You know, mm-hmm. something's a little off of like, God, I like my life, but man, I want it to feel better or something. That that seems yeah. to be the common theme um, of folks that come through. It's like a whisper. It, the yeah. little voice is just a whisper at that point. It's not, you know, knocking you over the head yet, but it's right. like, just know yeah. that like something's, something's maybe not that it's not right, but it's just not, I'm not in my element. I'm not in my groove. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that I know for myself, like I struggled with the word entrepreneur or creative mm. and, and I am both those things today, but every morning, all of us get out of our bed, right? M- most of us at least uh, get up, right? And yeah. and we go out and we, we're, we are creating something, whether we like it or not. Does yeah. that make sense? And so I yeah. think understanding that there's a, you're, we're creating one way or the other, but maybe I can really be man at creating what's really uh, in a more alignment with what's really what I want to be doing, whether it's going into that DJ, going into that record store and sell, selling records and equipment or being in Colorado, you know, with the mountains, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, beautifully said. Yeah. Well, Bodie, we just really want to thank you so much. Uh, you know, you, you move, you motivate and you inspire others on and off the dance floor you've accomplished your mission today, you know? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. There's days when I'm like, yeah. and I think that's <laughs> part of it. You got to honor those days too. Oh yeah. 
So thank you. I really appreciate y'all having me on. This was great. And I look forward to being able to see you in person at some point when we get through all of this. When we get through all of this, for sure, an in-person meeting is a must. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. We will uh, save a place for you in the mountains for a hike. That's where I'm putting it in my, <laughs> my calendar. <laughs> I love it. Come on down. Come yeah. on down. <laughs> Sounds great. Awesome. Well, all the best to you in the year ahead. And uh, thanks so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed Bodhi's story and were inspired to dive deeper into the remix of your own life's transitions. Check out Bodhi's profile page on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. There, you can find links to register for their upcoming CIJ course and start remixing your own world. There, you can also find links to their podcast and music. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk Out Loud. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, rate us, and share with a friend. You can also follow us on social media at Talk Out Loud Live. If you or someone you know has an inspirational story and a member of the LGBTQIA community, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on our website at www.talkoutloudlive.com. You can also get your official Talk Out Loud gear in our online store. Thanks again for listening, and remember to be true, be you, and to talk out loud.